It is good to see you here today. We are, as many of you know, in the midst of Lent. Um, and one of our themes this Lent is going deeper. And that's not just a communication slogan. We actually are going deeper spiritually. We're going deeper into what it means to be human. We're going deeper in what it means to depend on God's grace. We're going deeper into trust. Like if I really trusted God, what would my discipleship look like? We're going deeper. And one of the things about going deeper is there's a good chance you'll find pain as well as plenty. Because that's the stuff of life. That's the kingdom of God is getting into the stuff that hurts in our lives individually, in our lives collectively, and surrendering those to God for healing. And so that's what we'll be talking about today. How is it that God promises abundant life and yet that life can be so hard. Indeed, uh, the scripture tells us God created us to have life and to have it abundantly. And I would suggest to you that part of our job as disciples, part of the reason we come to church, part of the reason we're at St. Michael is to learn how to love. That's how I sum up the discipleship journey, learning how to love for real. And the problem is love hurts. And if you look at people in the Bible, and if you look at Jesus Christ, and if you look at these lives, you can see the way that their bodies experienced pain on their journey towards love. So let's look a little bit at the story of Abram, who became Abraham, Sarai, who became Sarah, and then Jesus. And before we can kind of talk about their stories, before we can talk about the challenge and the pain they endured, we have to start with God's promise. Because the Bible is full of God's promise. And to Abraham, it was a promise of many descendants. To Jesus, it was a promise that he would redeem the world. And we always have to begin with promise before we start talking about pain and suffering or we'll lose our way. We'll get so kind of locked up in our pain, our hurt, whatever it might be, that we forget that what precedes pain, what precedes suffering is promise. And if we know what that promise is and if we can keep our eye on it, then we can find our way to God. So in the 14th chapter of Genesis, a few chapters before our lesson for today, when Abram was younger, he did a good thing. His nephew got kidnapped by some foreign armies. Some of his um, neighbors and fellow tribal kings got taken up with these armies and he basically rallied up 300 and something men went and defeated those armies and brought everybody back home and returned the goods to their place. And they wanted to pay him. The kings of the area wanted to pay him for what he had done. And he said, no, not at all. I mean, pay these soldiers who did what they needed to do, but I require nothing. And that sense of integrity, that sense of goodness, kind of um, doing the right thing, he became respected and renowned. And right after that event, interestingly, God appeared to Abraham, to Abram at that time, and said, I will make of you many nations. You will have many descendants. We know this well. That promise is kind of woven through our whole experience. We, everybody knows that, regardless of how much church you've been to, that Abram will be a father to many nations. Well, fast forward. Now we're in chapter 17. Abram is 99. Sarai is not much uh, younger. And it seems as though the promise is null and void, to tell you the truth. I mean, both of them kind of laugh about, oh, so we're going to have a child at 99. By the way, I had a 94-year-old uh, come out of the 9 o'clock service, and he's like, please don't let God's promise come true to me. I can't handle a baby. 
But for Abram, who was promised a thing, and especially to Sarai, the Lord's promise does not seem to be coming to fruition. And I would suggest to some of you who know this well that infertility is a particular kind of suffering. We know several of you who are walking with that path, and it's not easy. And so to feel like God has promised you a thing and yet it is not coming to be is very painful. And so God comes to Abram again, right in the midst of this doubt, almost giving up. He doesn't give up, but right in the midst of it. And he makes the same promise again. I will make of you many descendants. You'll be the father of many nations. And so it's amazing that God's recapitulating this promise. And then to kind of prove it, he gives a name change to Abram and to Sarai. So Abram, if you just look at it uh, in the Hebrew, means kind of a nation that is strong. And Sarai means she is strong. So they're individual, they're possessive, they're that person. And in this name change, just adding a single Hebrew character, the same character to both names, now Sarai becomes Sarah and it's ruler of many peoples. And Abraham becomes nations that are strong because they collaborate together. Do you see what a name change means? Why it's so powerful in the Bible? When you see a name change, pay attention because we don't always get it in the original language, but they're being moved from an individual possessive reality to a universal collective reality. And that's important for us to pay attention to because there's ways in our lives, I believe we think we're only acting for ourselves, maybe our families, but in fact, our lives are meant to reveal God's purpose to wider circles, maybe to generations. There's no telling how our choices go out from us and make a difference. So never settle for a purely possessive individualistic notion of God's call to you. Wonder, ask yourself, how does that promise uh, go out to others? And then the following year, Isaac is born and God's promise is fulfilled. So Mark, Jesus understands his mission. The disciples don't, but he does. He understands that he must suffer and die on the way to God's promise. We know it well. Peter, new to this whole thing, new to discipleship, new to trusting God's promises, is no way. You're the Messiah. That's not talking like a front runner, right? If you want to be loved and respected by the people, you need to stop talking about all this suffering and death. And Jesus rebukes Peter in the strongest language. Get behind me, Satan. And Satan doesn't mean the, it, it means tempter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Peter simply can't see what Jesus can see, and Peter needs to stand down. And then, in case Peter missed it, and in case the disciples missed what just happened, Jesus turns to the other disciples and says, if any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Do you know what I hear there? I hear utter confidence in God's love. If there's one thing that I think marks Jesus, it is complete trust in the Father's will, even in the face of some pretty scary things. We clergy here at St. Michael, we hear from you. We hear your prayers. We hear the things you submit to pastoral care. There are things that some of you are facing that are harder than words can express. You keep coming, you keep showing up, you keep being with one another, and we know that there are some things that are very painful right now. 
just right now. Some of you have children and grandchildren fighting for their lives in the hospital. Some of you have lost loved ones to addiction and suicide. Some of you carry memories of abuse and some of you are struggling with questions of meaning and purpose. You are human beings and on your way to love, on your way to living out love, you will find pain because that is what life gives us. And so I wanna encourage you, wherever you find yourself, please know that God knows you, that God loves you, that God calls you even in your weakness, and that God equips you for a special purpose. I think sometimes we think we have to be all put together before God can possibly use us for good. In my experience, I find that when I am least able, least strong, I receive something beyond me and I take it as God. And so that's my hope and prayer for you as well, that you will tap into that which is greater than you and trust in a sense that you're being held, uh, not just by God kind of conceptually, but you're being held by one another. And that's why it matters to come to church. If we think we're just plugging in, coming in, getting something interesting to think about and then leaving, makes sense, doesn't matter if you come or not. But if you realize that you're part of the web, that you're part of the network of showing God's grace to one another, then your presence really matters. And so for the ways you live that out, for the ways that you're responding to God's call, I'm very grateful. So we're talking about promise, we're talking about life, and we're talking about suffering and sometimes facing death. And this week I've been thinking a lot about Alexei Navalny. Um, and I know that name can raise up kind of political divisions. I don't, I'm not raising it in that sense. I've been thinking about his journey these past 15 years, um, the ways that he has tried to be faithful to call. He began as an atheist, and as an adult, he converted to the um, Russian Orthodox Church. And you know why? He says, because the Russian Orthodox Church has something bigger than me. And so there was an awareness in his life that he wanted his life to mean something, that he wanted it to be bigger than just himself. And so for the past 15 years, he's been working to expose corruption. He's been leading the political opposition. And he's been fighting anti-democratic forces. Now, friends, that's one thing to say in the US. That's an entirely different thing to say in Putin's Russia. This is of great risk to him. Every time he refused to be silent, he was charged with a new, more serious crime. He was poisoned, ostensibly by the security services of his own country. And most recently, he was transferred to that isolated prison up in the Arctic Circle, where he died nine days ago at the age of 47. He knew suffering beyond what we could imagine. And yet in the recent documentary that was made, he had this message. If they decided to kill me, then it means we are incredibly strong. We need to utilize this power to not give up, to remember that we are a huge power. We don't realize how strong we actually are. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing, so don't be inactive. What he began to discover was that in the small choices of his life, they were used toward something greater. And I invite you to consider that for your own life, that your individual decisions matter, that they're not just for yourself, but they're for others as well. 
Theodore Parker, a Unitarian minister and abolitionist, wrote a sermon in 1853. He was against slavery. Martin Luther King Jr. quoted Parker over 100 years later during the Civil Rights Movement. You'll hear in what I read, and you'll assume it was Martin Luther King who came up with it. It was actually Theodore Parker, and he wrote this. Look at the facts of the world. You see a continual and progressive triumph of what is right. I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. My eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of my sight. I can only divine it by conscience. But from what I see, I am sure it bends toward justice. Things refused to be mismanaged long. Jefferson trembled when he thought of slavery and remembered that God is just. Ere long, all America will tremble. And the Civil War began eight years later. This was a man who, in a sense, when confronted with things, could tell not because he could see the end result, he couldn't see that long arc of the moral universe, but he knew in his conscience what was right. And so he wrote and stood in that place of confidence. As we go into our lives this day, go back into our lives, we understand that it's hard. We understand that love is painful. But I remind you, you're not alone. We have those who came before us who practiced love in such a remarkable way. We can learn from them, Abraham, Sarah, Jesus. We can do the same today, but only by God's help. Because we can get inflated. We can think it's all up to us. It's not. It is God who enables us. God the Father who creates us every day. God the Son who redeems us out of our sin. And God the Holy Spirit who strengthens us for a new work. That is why we gather. That's why we, we're here today. To in a sense remind one another that we are not alone. And that we are called to follow our conscience in times of danger. Some of you know I often end worship services with a blessing, and I find that in a time of uncertainty or confusion or perhaps danger, the Christian truth is simple, and so I will offer this to you again. Life is short, and we have too little time to gladden the hearts of those who walk the way with us. So be swift to love and make haste to be kind. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with us this day and forever. Amen.